This is James Butler, running back from the Houston Roughnecks. Welcome to XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 26th episode. In this episode, you'll hear from two guests. First, we will go to Houston and speak to James Butler, a running back with the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL. We will talk to James about how he is making the most of his opportunity with the Roughnecks. Then we will speak to Greg Parks, one of our XFLboard.com team reporters for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Greg will help dissect a very interesting XFL Week 3 and provide a look forward into Week 4. Will Week 4 be just as interesting? Greg thinks so, and I tend to agree with him. Are you ready? Let's get started. I'd like to welcome James Butler to the podcast. James is a running back currently with the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL. Welcome, James. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Now, you've been with this podcast before a few weeks prior to the season starting, and just after the Roughnecks had brought you into training camp. But since then, you've made the roster, and you've been piling up the yards for the Roughnecks, haven't you? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, done pretty well for myself. Well, it's good to see, because I think last time I talked to you, uh, this wasn't just an opportunity for you, but now it seems that you've taken the opportunity and you're making something of it, because you're currently number four in the league for rushing with 130 yards after three games. Wow, that's awesome. Even the first I've heard of that. Well, I got that from the XFL website. <laughs> your your, <laughs> boss, awesome. your exactly. boss has told me about it. <laughs> exactly. You know, especially in the offense where, you know, the running backs kind of look of, looked at as kind of like an afterthought. Yeah, but it's not working out that way, though, isn't it? Because you're getting some uh, <laughs> good uh, field time and you're making making the most of it, aren't you? Yes, sir. Just, you know, trying to make the most of every opportunity. Uh, in the last game against Tampa Bay, you were the top rusher. Uh, you had seven, uh, seven carries for 72 yards and an average of 10.3 yards, which is pretty decent. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty solid game. I wish I would have put one of those runs in the end zone, but you know, try next try again next week. Right, you've I think you've put you've put something in the end zone in the first two games, but not the not this the third game, right? Yeah, I had I just had a two point conversion this game. All right, exactly. So yeah, you did score two points. Uh, so congratulations on the big win for the Roughnecks over the Vipers last weekend. Thank you. That was a that was a tough win, man. The Tampa Bay is a lot better team than their record shows. You know, later in this podcast, we're actually we actually talk about that that Tampa Bay is the Vipers probably shouldn't be zero three. They should probably have some wins under their belt. They're they're that good. Yeah, I believe so. You know, and all I've heard the, the the week going into it, you know, this is the number one defense defense in the league, and they definitely played like it. And you see how much uh, their offense was giving us problems. So I think Tampa Bay is really going to turn it around. 
Yeah, I, I think people would like to hear that. But let's talk about the Houston Roughnecks now. The Roughnecks are now three and zero, and your team's riding high, aren't they? Yes, sir. You know, just, just trying to, you know, take it week by week. You know that uh, that any game is, is any man's game, any any day, and you know we just want to come out and play our game. We still don't feel like we played our, you know, to our full potential, and that we still have, you know, we still have more in the tank, kind of. Yeah, so you guys have gelled as a team. You've got a good quarterback, and you've got a good, good offense, don't you? Yes, yes, great quarterback, great receivers, and you know, Coach June uh, dialing up the plays. You know, it's, and and our and our defense has been really stout too. So I just feel like we've we've, we've done really well as a collective, and it's really, you know, some games the defense has pick us up, and some games the offense has pick us up, and I thought we really complement each other really well. Now, it's taken some teams uh, in the XFL uh, a couple games to get their team together, get their team to gel, but it seemed like you guys uh-huh. got it going right away. Uh, I just feel like we, we worked so hard during this, um, during the off season, during that, like, preseason time. You know, we were, you know, we were constantly doing two-a-days, and it was tough. You know, a lot of guys were complaining uh, about it, but, uh, you know, we really see all that, all that work we were putting in and, and during that, uh, during the preseason really come to fruition, and you know, it really shows up in these games. Yeah, it is. Now, the XFL is a little different, though, from what you're used to. Now, how do you like having the play call coming into your helmet every play? Uh, it's different. You know, it's it, it's a little different, but uh, I've kind of gotten used to it now. You know, sometimes uh, you might have a brain fart and, and the coach could help you or, you know, it, it, it lessens the time of in the huddle because how quick the play clock is. So it would be kind of hard to huddle, get everybody out, and then huddle again. So, so it kind of makes sense. Is the shorter play clock made for the XFL? Is it a faster game for you? Um, I believe so because I feel like you know the play is over. We get to play before I know it. You know, PJ's like hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, and just you know three or four seconds left on the clock, and we're we're running another play. So it 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 speeds up pretty quick. So you can't slow down. You have to be ready to go at all times for the next play. Yes, sir. You know, it's uh it's it's definitely a, a quick play clock. Definitely a quick turnaround every play. Now, you seem to be running the ball with uh, authority. Uh, do you find the XFL ball is easy to hold and easy to hang on to when you're running? Um, it's a little it's a little skinnier than the um, – a little narrow, narrower than the NFL ball, but um, I, I feel like it's the same as the NFL ball. I just, I just take pride in, you know, keeping the ball high and tight, you know, two hands over the ball when, um, when it's traffic. When something good happens in the XFL, when you make a good play – you get back to the mm-hmm. sidelines, and you get uh, a sideline reporter comes <laughs> over and wants to interview you. What do you think of that? I think it's interesting. I think it's uh, I think it's it's a good and bad because you know sometimes like obviously when you make a great play, you're so excited about it. But also you know there's that that negative aspect of if you make a bad play, they're also you know that same reporter talking about your bad play. So it's it's like it's it's a good and bad. You know, it's it's interesting. I know uh the fans probably really enjoy it, so it's 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 kind of a way for the fans to get more involved into the game and biggest and other players as a whole. Yeah, it's definitely a, a fan something for the fans, not really for the players. It's a you're you're getting a lot of attention now in Houston. Uh, uh people are mm-hmm. getting to know you and I think you were on a local breakfast show this morning, weren't you? Yeah, I was on I was on Wake Up Houston this morning. So you had to wake up early and go to the TV station and wake up Houston. <laughs> yes, sir. So are you having fun being in the spotlight? Uh, I'm having a blast. You know, I don't really consider it being in the spotlight. I feel like this whole team's in the spotlight. But it's, it's awesome that, 
you know, that we, we have a whole team of, of guys who are just doing great things and making most of their opportunities. And, you know, it's really seeing how much, you know, just attention that this team is getting and, and how much, you know, that we're, we're still not, you know, like really looking into that attention. We're still just trying to go out and win every game, win as many games as we possibly can and just, know, take advantage of these opportunities because we know how many eyes are now on this team, and so we just want to continue to live up to our own standard. Yeah, it's a short season, so you can't really relax. you got to put the pedal to the metal the whole way, don't you? Yeah, it's like, you know, put on the gas for 10 weeks, you know, the first person to, to the championship wins. That's exactly how it's playing out, isn't it? Now, I noticed that yes, your uh, the fans in Houston are embracing you, and they're literally embracing you when uh, I think I saw you jump into the, the stands when you scored a <laughs> touchdown. Is that, is that, is yes, that what you did? did yeah, called call the Houston Hop. <laughs> it's called the Houston you know, Hop. Uh, it's called the Houston Hop, yes, sir. So you score a touchdown and you hop into the stands. Yeah, it's like, I was like, I like, I make a I make a thing of just like doing the best I possibly can to score a touchdown just so I can go hop in the hop in the stands with the fans. I remember I was coming off the field in one game and a group of fans was like, You gotta jump here, you gotta jump here next time you score. So, you know, they're they're all excited about it and you know, it's it's it's, it's XFL, you know, it's supposed to, it's entertaining. So you know, we wanna get everybody into the game as much as possible. You know, we're out there having a blast. We also want the people watching the game and at the game to have a blast. I really feel like that's a way to really get people involved. Well, that's that's exciting. I love to hear that. Now, next week you go to Dallas to visit the Renegades on yes. Sunday. Uh, it's this is good preparation week for the Roughnecks, and you don't have to travel too far to meet the Renegades, do you? Yes, sir. You know, a, a, a cool in-state rivalry, so it's it's, it's going to be awesome. You know, I've talked to a lot of local people about like just you know Texans and Cowboys games, how crazy that is, and. You know, I, I know how much our fans are going to be excited, how much we're going to be excited. And, and, and Dallas is a, is a good team, too, so it should be a really great matchup. I'm sure you'll see a lot of Renegades fans in the in the stands next Sunday. Now, how yeah, so I hope so. How, how, will, how are the Roughnecks preparing for that game? You know, just continuing to uh, to just connect on all cylinders. Like I said, we just still don't feel like we've played, you know, to our full potential yet and just, you know, finally playing like a complete game, offense, defense, hands on special teams and just, you know, doing what we do, you know, high-powered offense, the defense that, you know, that, that may bend but don't break, and just continuing to, to, to play our game. Yeah, I guess I guess you're just going to keep going in the direction you're going and and uh, maybe fix a few things that you recognize that need to be tuned up or, or made better. Mm-hmm. Now, the last time I talked to you, we talked about your career, and uh, I learned about you. You're a native of Wheaton, Illinois. You're a graduate of St. Francis High School. You yeah. went to college, University of Nevada Wolfpack. You played, you graduated, you went to the Oakland Raiders. Then, in fact, the Raiders cut you four times, but they kept bringing you back because <laughs> they liked you. And then you went to Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and you spent yeah, a, a preseason there. And then when I last mm-hmm. spoke to you, you had just had a workout for Green Bay. And then now, now today, you're playing it for the XFL. And you're playing. Yes, you're on the field. How meaningful is your time on the field with the Roughnecks? It's awesome. You know, like a lot of a lot of guys in my same position are getting that opportunity that we that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for you know this XFL. You know, giving all these guys, giving all of us guys an opportunity. And as you can see, a lot of guys are starting to flourish from the XFL. And you know, as you can see, the whole world is watching. So it's just it's just awesome that you know that like guys like me. 
that we can just take advantage of these opportunities that we're given. And then, you, you know, when you get kind of removed from college, and that, that, that college room kind of gets expired. So you, you, you need something else. And, you know, it's not like the NBA where you can go play overseas or it's a G League or, you know, MLB where they have like AAA, AA. So, you know, and NFL is just the NFL. So now it finally gives the, uh, these players who are like on the bubble kind of guys or practice squad kind of guys, you know, um, a chance to really go show what they can do. You know, that's a great story. And I, I love to hear the fact that you're able to have an opportunity and to, and to use that opportunity to show off your skills. Now, they put it on the field for the love of football. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean to you? I honestly feel like you gotta you gotta love this game because uh, you know football is not a, a not a, a a really a spring sport, say so to speak. You know it's a it's a tough and and rough game. You know you know so you see guys are are going down or you know who are getting injured. You know sadly, but you know it's 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 a tough game. But we play in this game because we love it. You know what I'm saying and. And we we just want another opportunity to go play the game that many of us have been dreaming of playing since we were kids. And then you know, this is giving us that chance to go play, give us that feeling again to play in front of thousands or millions of fans, you know, every day, and you know, be cheered on, be in the locker room again. Cause, you know, there's no there's no there's no really other job that's really like a, a men's locker room. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 really that camaraderie we're getting. You know, meeting guys from all over. You know, playing with different guys in XFL, you know, even befriending guys in different XFL teams, you know, it really just feels like a brotherhood. I really, I really feel like sometimes football is like a fraternity that, like, once you're in, you're in, and everyone just kind of is going through the same things. Everyone's banged up, but everyone's just playing because we love the game so much, and we know how much this game has brought to us, how much this game has changed our lives, and that we're able to change others' lives by playing this game. Sounds like something that's going to be um, affecting you for the for the next little while is to be able to play with the right. Roughnecks and uh, and show you off your stuff and, and have your life changed in, in a positive way. Now, I wish yes. you good luck and good health. Thank you. And good health yes, on sir. the field this Sunday. And we will yes, be watching amen. you. And we'll, we'll be watching you, number Thank 28, you. right? Yes, sir. All right. Now, if people, if people want to follow you online, they can follow you on Twitter at JamesButler20, right? Yes, with two S's. James, James S. Butler, James, 20. James, James S. Butler. You have to put the 20. S in the middle, otherwise you get someone else. Yeah. Oh, you're going to get some other just James Butler, 20, you know. But, you know, he could use a follower, too, so shout out to him. So follow all James Butlers on Twitter, and you'll get James <laughs> S. Butler. It'll be one of them. Exactly. Hopefully I'm on that list. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak to us through the podcast, James. I know you're very busy, and uh, I wish you the best uh, this Sunday in Dallas. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'd like to welcome Greg Parks to the podcast. Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com team reporter for the Tampa Bay Vipers. He is also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, pwtorch.com. Welcome, Greg. Good to talk uh, football again with you, Mark. Yeah, this is, this is going to be good. Now, I haven't spoken to you on this podcast since before the season started. Mm-hmm. And now we're at week three, which has come and gone. And I'd just like to ask you what your take on the league is so far. I, I've been pleasantly surprised by the quality of play. I think that's the number one that 
the league had to do to attract an audience was to make sure the quality of play was up to par. And I think for the most part it is, you know, there have been spots here and there, games here and there that, that have not been perfect. Uh, you know, when you take into account the fact that they didn't have a real preseason, they had a very truncated uh, off season to where they could get together, didn't have any live tackling during the preseason. Many teams didn't. So I think when you take into all that into account, it, it's been pretty good. Um, presentation on television has been good. Uh, it, it feels like a real football league. You know, the differences from um, the XFL in college or the XFL in the NFL, they're different enough to set it apart from those leagues, but not different enough, I think, to turn off fans uh, who feel that this is gimmicky or anything like that. So I think that they've done about as good a job as they could. You know, you, you kind of wish for some closer games here and there. Um, but I think there's been excitement throughout the games, even in ones that aren't necessarily as close as the, the league would want. And there's really nothing you can do about that. You know, parity is, is the goal uh, for the league, I'm sure. But once you blow the whistle and get the two teams between the lines, I mean, that's that's up to fate at that point, I guess, and, and up to the, the team. So, um, yeah, I, I've been impressed so far. Yeah, so have I. I agree with you. I have been impressed. Mind you, uh, I was looking for something cool and exciting especially when the NFL uh, was finished and yeah, I got it. So, I mean, I don't, you really didn't have to impress me that much. Just <laughs> give me more football and that was going to be good for me. Right. Now right. let's, let's run through some of the innovations that, that we've seen that, that people are really taking in. Uh, the first thing is the kickoff. What I think is cool about the kickoff is every time at the beginning of every game, the broadcasting media announces uh, or tells people of what the, what they're seeing or what the kickoff is all about, and they keep explaining it. And I think that's kind of fun, actually. Probably have to do that for the first season, at least, because you're always going to have uh, curiosity seekers who may have missed the first couple of weeks. And then the more that the XFL stays in the consciousness of the fans and of the sports media, you may have fans who uh, didn't want to give it a chance at first to, who want to check it out. So uh, for the newer fans, you, you want to keep explaining that. But uh, the kickoff, I think, has been the success of the league so far in that it's it's gotten almost universal praise from not only fans, but uh, sports media types as well, who, let's face it, there are a lot of sports media types who don't like change, who, you know, anything that's different from tradition, they kind of poo-poo. And so to have them accept this uh, new kickoff rule, as radical as it is, uh, has been a success of the league so far. And, you know, the, the two big things that the XFL wanted to accomplish here was to make the play safer, which I think they've done, and to make the play more exciting, which I think they've done. So I think you can check both boxes for the league so far, at least through three weeks. Yeah, the kickoff is has been exciting. As a matter of fact, in uh, last weekend, we actually witnessed a kickoff return for a touchdown. Mind you, there was a reverse to create it, but still it was exciting enough. And we did get that touchdown from a kickoff, didn't we? Yeah, and, and that's gotten a lot of play on social media. So you kind of expected the first kickoff return for a touchdown to do that. The fact that it was done on so, somewhat of a trick play, a little bit of a reverse there, uh, certainly helped uh, spread that w far and wide across social media. It's cool to see that. Now, the other thing that's getting a lot of uh, feedback, and from what I've heard, positive feedback is the officiating and how efficient it has been and how they've decided, made decisions efficiently and correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I, that was another worry of mine with no preseason, with a new set of rules, with especially offensive lines not having a lot of time to gel. You wonder how many penalties there were going to be. Uh, the first week was relatively clean. I think they've kind of thrown a few more flags since then. But the fact that there were only a handful of holding calls that first 
week was shocking to me uh, just because that's one of those calls that you get when guys haven't played in a while, uh, you know, uh, and things like that. The offensive lines have not gelled as much. Um, so I, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised with that as well. You know, there there seems to be a more let them play edict. I don't know if that's something that's come down from the top in the XFL, but it almost seems like they've erred on not throwing the flag if it's a close play, which I'm totally fine with. You know, there there have been games that have felt a little over officiated, but you know that's on the players too. It, you know, they they have to play a clean game, and there, if there's something that is clear and obvious, then you can't blame the officials for throwing the flag. So I let, let's just say this: I don't think it has been a huge issue so far. It almost seems like every week in the NFL, there's an egregious officiating mistake that gets talked about for days and days afterward. And we haven't had that for the first three weeks of the XFL. So combination of high quality officiating, uh, combination of players uh, playing the game tight and, and the officials calling it the right way. I think there's a lot of that, the officials calling it the right way going on. And uh, one of the things you pointed out that there hasn't been a lot of holding calls. I'm a bit, of a bit of a pessimist when it comes to that type of issue. And when, I, when I'm witnessing a game when there isn't a lot of holding calls, I think, well, I guess they're holding and they're not getting called. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, of course, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But that's kind of the feeling I get sometimes. And I don't know if that's happening with the XFL. But offensive linemen will be offensive linemen. I don't care what league you're in. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the Sky Judge or the Booth review that's been going on? It's been quick. It's been, uh, I think, uh, all as advertised so far with the uh, Sky Judge really moving things along. And uh, that's really the way it should be in the NFL. Uh, and I don't know why it's not. There's no reason to have the coaches with all of the responsibilities they have during a game to also be officials and have to throw a flag to get a play reviewed. I, I just think that's that's a terrible idea. And so to have the sky judge the way, you know, similar to what they do in college football, and to have the efficiency of what we've seen so far in the XFL, and the transparency, I think it's been really cool to see um, and hear the communication between the official in the booth and the official on the field. And to see, you know, the process of coming to a conclusion of a call, I think that's been really neat. Yeah, I like the transparency. That's that's I like that the most of all of that, because uh, you get to hear the, the reasoning behind it. And I've noticed that even online on Twitter, some of the uh, Twitter mouthpieces that like to complain about calls uh, when they were explained about the reasoning behind the call because of the broadcast explained it. Then they kind of silence up a bit. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's working. It's actually working uh, uh, quite well. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the one, two, and three-point conversions. And what it's been talked about now is that the probability of making the one and the two are almost the same. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thought is that teams might just start going for two-point conversion by default. That's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. Uh, that's probably something they'll look at the percentages in the off season and determine, you know, whether or not to keep them at the yard lines they're currently at, whether they need to be moved, uh, things of that nature. But uh, overall, I think that's been a success too. You're not seeing a lot of teams go for the uh, three-point conversion, although you're seeing more uh, in the last couple of weeks than you saw in the first week. But I think it is a feeling out process. I think the teams need to look at the percentages as well. And and when you started off in week one, you had no data to really back that up with and now as the weeks go by as the games progress each team uh, is getting in that data and making more informed choices about whether to go to 
one, two, or three. So uh, that's going to come at the, the, the comfortableness uh, of the head coaches and going for the different points is going to come as the season progresses and as they gather more information. Yeah, you're right about that. Certainly, as the season goes, we'll see changes in uh, in what teams, what their strategy is. And you know what? That's fun to watch. I really enjoy that. Now, uh, the other thing that's fun to watch is the all-access to play calls. Uh, I really enjoy it. And and seeing some of the coaching decisions uh, live, I I really think that's cool. Yeah, I do too. I, I confess that I don't understand most of it, but you've got good broadcasters who are able to explain a lot of what it means, and so that's helpful. Uh, the all-access stuff, you know, it, it's really hit or miss, and you know, you'll get um, pretty pat standard answers from players if you you interview them, um, from head coaches when you interview them. But every once in a while, you'll get a jewel, and I think you know Kevin Gilbride talking to I think it was Mikael McKay on the sidelines at the end of that game, and, and talking about how he needed McKay to step up as a leader because the leaders he was expecting on the team were not getting it done. Um, you know, those are the moments you you love as a fan to hear and to, to hear live. And so, you know, I'm kind of willing to put up with the, the five in a row of, okay, they're interviewing someone and you don't really get anything out of that interview to get one really nice piece, whether it's, you know, Martez Carter uh, of the Wildcats who really became a sensation this past week with his uh, touchdowns and with his interviews after his scores and the, the Kevin Gilbride soundbite. So, you know, I'm willing to put up with the the one or two or the the four or five eye rolling, you know, answers that are, you know, don't give you much insight to get those one or two that are really cool to hear. Yeah, no kidding. The Gilbride uh, uh, remarks now. Uh, that's that's real. That's not scripted. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's really cool about that. And I mean, I agree with you about the play calls. Uh, I don't some of the stuff. I don't understand it. I really don't. But then the uh, broadcasting announcer actually explains it to me. And I'm like, well, thanks for that, because now I know. Right. And and, and to interpret what some of the uh, what some of the plays, what they mean, whether it's left or right. I thought that's really cool. I finally get to see that and learn more about it. Now, the sideline interviews, I think, are cool, and you're right about on uh, the L.A. game. There was some cool sideline interviews done on that L.A. game, weren't there? Yeah, absolutely. And look, you're not going to get a success every time. I think the interviewers, some of them need to ask better questions. You can tell that some of the interviewers are more comfortable going up to to players in the middle of a game and asking them questions. You can see that there are some that are not quite comfortable with that yet, that don't have really good questions, to be honest with you, you know, to ask. So it's like I said, it's been hit or miss for me, but it's an opportunity to let the players show some personality, which you know, even dating back to the original XFL in 2001, that was kind of the point. You wanted to create some stars for the league, and this is the way you do it. You give them that opportunity, and then it's up to them to run with it. Yeah, you know, there was some real sound bites from the original XFL, too. That's something that started there, and some sound bites, sound bites from Tommy Maddox and uh, uh, other players that people still remember to this day. Now, uh, the XFL attendance is averaging overall at 19,000 per game average. Some markets were way greater. For example, St. Louis was over 29,000, and so was Seattle's first game. It was just over 29,000. Now, it would be nice for the XFL to grow the, the attendance numbers by having better attendance in some markets. How do you think they can do this? Well, it's going to take time. You know, you're building a brand. And especially with a spring football league that has had little track record of success, there are going to be fans who are hesitant to jump on the bandwagon. 
And as long as the XFL understands that, uh, as long as they t- understand that it's, it's a process that takes time sometimes. You know, you can be on the ground and you can have all the local advertising you want. And, and so many of the teams have done such a good job just tracking them on social media of being in the consciousness of the local fans. I think they've all done a very nice job of local advertising and local marketing. But it's really going to take some time to familiarize the public with the players to familiarize the public with the brand and to really earn that trust with the fan that, hey, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here next year. We're going to be here the year after that. So, you know, come on and spend $20 and and get a ticket. So I think there's a lot of hesitancy from some of these fans as well to hop on board uh, another spring football league when they've seen so many catastrophic failures in the past couple decades. I think you made a good point. So as the XFL goes further along and people start to see that there will be a year or two, then they'll start to jump on board far more readily than they are right now. Yeah, that's kind of my instinct on it. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect for attendance. Um, and so the numbers that are coming in are kind of interesting to me. Um, I, I guess my first instinct was to say I thought some of these would be higher. Of course, you have some that are tarping off sections. You have some that are in smaller venues. Um, so, you know, there's there's that. But, um, you know, as long as the drop off from game to game isn't significant, I mean, you know, everybody likes to pick on L.A. And I get that 14,000 for their first game, almost 15,000 is not great. And, you know, they only saw a 2000 person drop off for game two. Now, 12,000 was also the the least attended game of any of the games so far. But uh, for an 0-2 team to only have a 2000 person drop off, you know, I thought that was pretty decent. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't that uh, great of a drop-off. And then they had a stellar game. So who knows yeah. what's going to happen next time there. They should have a, a bump, at least a little bump anyways, you think about it, you would think. Now, another thing that, that was been negative about the XFL was something that happened after the Week 2 games. And there was complaints from, from the media or certain uh, football pundits that – the quarterback quality in the XFL after week two was poor. In other words, because there was some poor performances in week yeah. two. So was this warranted? Sure. Um, I think you got to take the criticism and take it in stride. I don't think you can be, uh, you, you know, I, I don't think you can just ignore the criticisms and, and write everything off as to haters or, you know, they're um, in the NFL's pocket or anything like that. Uh, I think if you watch the games, there were some quarterbacks who clearly struggled. Um, and, you know, that's that's not terribly different from what you see in the NFL sometimes, you know, especially when you get to week 16 and 17 and some teams are on their third string quarterbacks because of injury. Um, you know, that's that's going to come. And again, I go back to the limited preseason. Some of these players, Landry Jones in particular, having not played in a real game, uh, a meaningful game in you know almost two years, if not more. So that it's going to take some time to get them comfortable and and get them um, in a position where they can be really successful. And then there are guys like uh, P.J. Walker and and Cardale Jones for the first two weeks who walked in and and felt like they owned the place. I'll say that the offensive line play has been better than I expected, so that's helped out some of the quarterback play. But um, sure, you know, the, the quarterbacks were not perfect, but... Um, that's there's going to be weeks like that. You know, I, I don't think you can draw any sweeping conclusions from that. Uh, but, you know, you'll have weeks like that. I think it was to be expected, uh, especially yeah. as you pointed out now that there's, again, that there was no preseason. I mean, some of these teams just really did not gel. 
in the first game or the second game. And it's to be expected. And I think honestly believe that there was some uh, haters that were actually bringing this up or some people who are panicking about the XFL. And, and, and it actually showed in week three where there was a lot of improvements in, in many areas. And now let's talk about the week three games now. This is this is really what I wanted to talk about today because there was so many interesting games this past, past weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, let's run through the games. So the first game was Houston at Tampa Bay. Now, is Tampa Bay better than their record? I think so. Um, I, I think uh, they are better than 0-3 right now, but they've got, you know, it seems like when they've got their offense on track, then their defense falls behind when their defense is on track their offense can't catch up to it so they've got to get really all three phases on the same page to be successful and they just haven't really done that yet in any game you know we've seen their offense drive up and down the field they struggled in the red zone the first two games Uh, against houston they were two for three in the red zone so they were more successful but their defense gave up a bunch of points so I, i think they've got an opportunity this week against dc at home dc coming off a really stinging loss to la and you know is that same dc team going to show up or is the dc team from the first two games going to show up so tampa has a real opportunity coming up and and to be able to stick with what might be the the best team in the league in Houston I think showed that they weren't laying down after they started 0-2. Tampa has been highly rated uh, but every week their their rating goes down a little bit because they are not actually putting the wins on the board uh, but they've been close and in the in it, they've been in the game and they were actually in the game against Houston which is Houston is arguably one of the best is the best team in the league right now. Uh, so I, I I think Tampa Bay is better than their record, and I'd love to see them win. And and they're they're getting uh, expected to get Aaron Murray back this week. So you know he had a rough game week one, um, but you know Taylor Cornelius and Quentin Flowers weren't much better week two and three. So I'm assuming Murray will get the starting nod in in week four, and we'll really see what the offense looks like with him healthy under center um, for for a full week here. Now, it's an interesting quarterback situation in Tampa Bay, though, isn't it? Because the fans really love Quentin Flowers. Yeah. Uh, but the coach doesn't really think he's the one, does he? Doesn't seem that way. You know, Taylor Cornelius starting both games when Murray got hurt. And then, you know, Flowers coming in for three drives in a row on Saturday. And when it seemed like he was the spark they needed, he didn't play at all in the second half. So it was curious decisions by Mark Trestman. But, um, you know, we'll have to see how they use Flowers now when they put Murray back in. You know, are, are they going to want to get Murray as many game reps as possible, uh, want to get him in a rhythm on uh, this weekend, or is it going to be a situation where they think, you know, they're going to have some packages for Flowers and maybe the D.C. defense is um, exploitable through Flowers? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what Trustman does. Now, some fans are blaming things on the head coach. Now, do you think there's a coaching issue in Tampa Bay? Hard to say. I mean, he's uh, Trestman has made some some curious decisions, and you kind of hear the rumors and innuendo going on um, about some unrest in the locker room. I don't know how legitimate that is, but uh, you know, when you're 0 3 and you're the only 0 3 team in the league, yeah, there's going to be some frustration with the players, especially when you take into account the fact that uh, players get paid more to win. So, you know, they're not getting that bonus check for, for games one. So there's probably some frustration there, uh, maybe with how Trustman has handled the quarterbacks, maybe some other things going on. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think when you're starting 0-3, that's, that's kind of natural. And sometimes a win can solve all ills, as they say, and get players to snap out of it. And, you know, they're back on track. So we'll see what week four brings for Tampa. Biggest thing wrong with Tampa Bay right now is they're 0-3. 
Yeah. If they would have won one of those games, then things would not be as uh, as strange and, and and dire there. Then people would not be trying to figure out what's wrong with Tampa Bay. I, and like I said, I don't think there's a whole lot wrong with Tampa Bay. I'm sure I know there's some things wrong with Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay should have a better record than 0-3. That's my opinion. Now let's move to Dallas at Seattle. Now Dallas went into Seattle, and well, the, they beat Seattle. Now Seattle's been showing potential. And the fans are really into Seattle. But does Seattle have have a, a team that can win a championship? Seattle just feels like the definition of a 500 team to me. I think they can beat the um, the lower-level teams in the league, but I think they'll struggle against the, the top-tier teams. And so, you know, I, I think Brandon Silvers as a quarterback has not shown me a lot yet, and you kind of wonder how long Jim Zorn is going to stick with him. But... They have enough talent to compete, even without a top-level quarterback in the league. I think their defense has shown at times that they can really compete at a high level. Uh, but, you know, you just wonder how much the quarterback's going to hold him back. Or if Silvers is a guy who, you know, as the season progresses, is going to get more comfortable in the offense, going to get more comfortable with the rule changes and everything, and really explode. I, I think they're a team that has that potential. But through three weeks, they just really feel like a 500-level team to me. Especially the fact that they're in the Western Division and they have a lot of uh, high-powered teams in that division. That might spell their their hor- horoscope right there. Now, Dallas came into town, and Dallas has been kind of wishy and washy as they go. But they're starting to gel. Now, are they becoming a contender for the championship now? I think they are. And I think, you know, being without Landry Jones week one hurt them. Uh, Jones is... He's a guy I mentioned earlier who's just not played competitive football in a long time, uh, at least meaningful competitive football games in a long time. So you're seeing him. He's getting a bit of a slow start to the games. But uh, once he's locked in, he's he's locked in and he's shown that he can be a successful starting quarterback for Dallas and they can have success behind him. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I've seen from Dallas so far. And, uh, you know, it's it's. Week three in a 10-week season is probably too early to start crowning uh, teams, but they've shown that I think they can compete, uh, if nothing else, for a playoff spot and, and really do some damage if they get in the playoffs. Well, they're definitely competitive. I can I can see that. And uh, Landry Jones does look better every game, so um, we'll see how that works out for Dallas. I'm sure if Landry, Landry Jones stays healthy this entire season, Dallas will be there in the end. They'll be there in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. Uh, now let's move forward to New York and St. Louis. Now this was a crazy game. New York went into St. Louis. New York got wiped out in St. Louis. St. Louis had the power of the their team and the power of over 29,000 fans behind them. Now how powerful are the Battlehawks? I think at home they're they're pretty powerful. Uh, getting in them on the road might be a different story, but that's sort of the advantage you have playing your home games in a dome. I, I think the St. Louis offense is really well balanced. They've got two runners in Matt Jones and Christian Michael who uh, were really just pounding the rock against New York at will almost. And Jordan Tamu, who has led the team in previous weeks, really didn't have to do a whole lot against New York. And so there are going to be weeks like that, but I think he's shown already that if they need to put it on his arm to win it, he's capable of doing that. So I think they're a really well-balanced attack. They've shown to have a good defense. Um, They took advantage of a New York team that's pretty weak right now in a lot of different ways. And so, um, you know, St. Louis is, is a team whose, I think, arrow's pointing up right now. 
Yeah, for sure. The Battlehawks got the ball in that game in the first their first series, and as you pointed out, they pounded the ball downfield, uh, running the ball and scored a touchdown uh, at will. It seemed they could just do that all day, actually. Yeah, it was impressive because, you know, when you coming into this league, it was like, okay, the quarterbacks are going to be the show here, you know, with the, the rule changes that really tilted the field toward the offense and specifically toward the quarterback position, you kind of felt like the running game might get lost in the shuffle, especially bringing in June Jones and bringing in Hale Mummy and these um, prolific offensive minds who really came to that position through throwing the football. And we've seen some really good displays of running in the first three weeks of the season as well. So the, the running the ball has not become a lost art in the XFL, as some had feared. Yeah, it's good to see. And it's the same with Houston, too, uh, which we've already talked about. But uh, Houston is running the ball as well, which is cool because they're not supposed to be a running offense. But now they've got this balanced offense, which is actually giving them more power, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, with New York and St. Louis, the other side of the ball was the New York Guardians. And they went through all three of their quarterbacks in that game, didn't they? Yeah, and it's going to be curious to see who ends up as the starter this weekend. I'm not sure... You know, it's it's early to pull the plug on a, a quarterback, but if they start Matt McGloin again, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to have a short leash. Um, Luis Perez looked good for the limited time he was in there, but I don't know if you could really draw any major conclusions from his play, especially when you're uh, taking into consideration that he may have been playing against a, a few backups there toward the end of the game. But um, I think it's going to be real interesting to see what direction Kevin Gilbride goes this week, especially talking about the, the need for leadership. And, and I don't know if that was a shot at McGloin or not, but if that's how Gilbride's feeling, yeah, the p- plug may be pulled sooner rather than later on his quarterback. So Gilbride, as we talked about, he, he pointed out the fact there was a need for leadership uh, in the New York squad. And I took that as a shot against McGloin. I took that as him saying, McGloin's not going to do it for us. We need someone else to do it. That's the way I took it. Yeah, and that I completely understand you're reading into it uh, that way. So if that is the case, I can't imagine them trotting McGloin back out there this week. But again, if they do start him this week, uh, you know, given that they're sitting at one and two in a 10-game season, I'm sure he's going to have a shorter leash than than most others, uh, like in the NFL in a 16-game season where you've got a few extra games to play with. Yeah, you know, and poor McGloy, you know, he did get sacked and he did have does have a rib injury of some sort, you know, and I guess we haven't seen the report yet or the injury report, but there's a chance that he might be pulled for the next game with a rib injury because that's not an, an easy injury to walk off either, is it? No, especially for a quarterback when you're susceptible to getting hit and where are you going to get hit? Probably right in the ribs. They're kind of sack you right there um so and of course the the breathing that comes along with it and everything like that could be an issue so uh yeah it, it may be a way to get them uh, a look at a perez or a Mar- marquise williams who's their uh, backup quarterback and just give them an opportunity to see what happens and kind of rest mcgloin and with the injury designation this week yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they rested him. But I guess we'll wait and see. I, of course, I'm not the coach, so I'm uh, I don't make any decisions. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark Marquise uh, did look good though, didn't he? He had his moments. Um, I, I think that he was kind of hit or miss. I don't know if I'm sold on him playing an entire game in, in place of McGloin. I'm wondering if they if they do bench McGloin or if they sit him due to the rib injury, whether they go to Perez over Williams, Perez being the more prototypical quarterback, I think. Um, but, you know, we'll see. That's Gilbride has three options right now. You know, most, most teams have just two options when they're thinking about things. So Gilbride has three here, and it'll be interesting to see which direction he goes if indeed McGloin does not start this weekend. 
Okay, good point. He has three options. Uh, let's move forward to uh, D.C. at L.A. Now, that was the game on the final game of the weekend last night, and everyone expected D.C. to walk into L.A. and for L.A. to, to uh, fumble and bumble their way through it. But that's not what happened. Yeah. It was the opposite story. Now, I love an underdog story. I love it when the underdog does well. And L.A. really did well against D.C., didn't they? They did, and I think that was probably the upset of the year in the league so far. Not only L.A. coming out and winning D.C., but the way they did it, you know, to, to completely pummel D.C. the way they did and to um, pick off Cardell Jones four times. And Jones has been right up there with P.J. Walker as uh, the top quarterback in the league. So to do it the way they did and just impose their will the way they did, you know, you know, that's the kind of game Winston Moss wants to see as head coach where. Uh, the defense really comes out, gets these turnovers, really shines. And, uh, you know, you wonder, it's always a factor, those cross-country trips, man. Um, those are the, if you're going to pick an upset, you want to pick a West Coast team playing an East Coast team on the West Coast because those East Coast teams are, are tend to not be as used to the travel as the West Coast teams are. So that can be a long flight. And so, you know, I think DC's had uh, a home game or two already. And so to, um, to have to go across the country to play L.A., in that kind of situation, um, you know, L.A. came out fighting. And there's a couple teams who we've seen uh, really stumble out of the gate with uh, controversy, and that's L.A., New York, and Tampa Bay. And so far, L.A. is the one team that's been able to write the ship uh, with Winston Moss, so that's really good to see. Yeah, they really redeemed themselves in a big way. Now, I don't know what it is about D.C., but I thought uh, your, your point about the jet lag flying across the country, uh, the, I thought about that as well. Maybe it has something to do with it or the fact that they, they flew from uh, Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles and they got off the plane and they smelt the, the sweet, dewy air and they got the sunshine in their faces and they <laughs> lost track of why, were, why they were there. Uh, I don't know. One of the fun things about that game I like is right near the end of the half, the first half, uh, Cardell Jones put together a short little drive. And then just before the half, he was trying to uh, regroup the troops by saying, we got them, guys. We, yeah. we got them. We can do this. And then they went for the half, and they came back, and Cardell, uh, I think he threw another interception, and uh, things just didn't go his way. Yeah, he just didn't look as comfortable back there as he did in the first two weeks. I don't know if it was something different the L.A. defense was doing or what the case may have been, but he just did not look as comfortable throwing the ball. He did not look as comfortable in the pocket as he looked the first two weeks. So that's going to be a storyline to watch. You know, how does he overcome? How does he come back from that pretty poor game that he had against L.A.? Yeah, you know, I expect him to come back. But he, you're right, he didn't look comfortable in the pocket. And then those interceptions he threw – most of those were on him. Like he yeah. shouldn't have thrown it. Like he shouldn't have thrown it. Pep Hamilton's a guy who's, you know, the, the head coaches do things a little differently and the offensive coordinators. Some of them are right in their quarterback's ear the entire time. Some of them want to get in and get out, give them the play call and stop talking, you know, and Pep's a guy who's in the quarterback's ear the entire time. So you can hear him, you know, as he's watching the interception happen and, you know, the consternation in his voice uh, when he's seeing these interceptions as it played through the broadcast was was really interesting to listen to. Certainly was, and uh, I guess uh, both Pep and Hamilton and Cardell Jones probably recognize the fact they have a lot of work to do this week just to get things back on track. And uh, you know, I kind of expect them to do that, uh, which is probably not good for Tampa Bay because DC is <laughs> going to Tampa Bay next week. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Week Four games now, and with some predictions, of course. So. Okay. 
Uh, of course, the predictions aren't worth. We're not actually putting any money down, so it's fine. <laughs> you could make an outrageous <laughs> prediction without losing your wallet. Uh, the first game, the first game is L.A. Now L.A.'s flying to the other coast. Now L.A.'s flying to New York for the yeah. first game next week. What do you think? Yeah, I like L.A. in this one. Until I see New York and what quarterback they're playing and until I can see them get their house in order, it's hard for me to bet on them, especially, you know, the momentum that L.A. has. And I think momentum is real. The momentum they have coming off that win against the top team in D.C., I think they're going to keep that rolling, provided that long trip doesn't affect them the same way it may have affected D.C. Uh, I think uh, L.A. continues their winning ways. Yeah, you wonder if the jet lag will affect them. But, of course, it gets later <laughs> going east, so maybe that's going to give them a boost. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really like L.A. in this game because, I, uh, unfortunately, I have a lot of respect for the New York team. But I don't really see that they have a, a quarterback uh, right now. I, th- I see their woes continuing for some reason. Uh, I wish I was wrong. In fact, I hope I'm wrong because I hate to see that any team just uh, – not perform uh, due to that type of situation. Uh, But I'm going for LA as well, because you know what? Why not? Uh, Seattle at St. Louis. Uh, Can Seattle go walk into St. Louis and do better than New York did? I think they can. I think St. Louis is still a little more talented. Plus they've got the the home field advantage, which tilts things pretty significantly in their favor. So I like St. Louis in this one. Uh, I think Seattle can make it competitive. Uh, We'll see if they actually do that. The Dome is going to be uh, sold out again this week. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I haven't heard that it's sold out yet, but I believe it was trending that way. So Seattle is liable to go in there in the same situation with New York with a 29,000 uh, uh, yeah. Seattle and, Louis fans. And to be honest, it shouldn't shock a team like Seattle because they're, they've played in front of large crowds at CenturyLink Field, too. So I don't think the, the crowd noise necessarily is going to throw them off, but just the, the fervor and the constancy that the fans have shown to be able to be into the game, I, you know, I think that's, again, going to tilt things in St. Louis's favor. You know, I hate to say it, but I have to go for St. Louis as well. <laughs> I hate to say it because I always like the underdog, and I I see Seattle being the underdog in this one. Okay, so let's move forward to this game. Now, this is the game. This is one of the games I was waiting for at the start of the season. Houston is in Dallas. What do you think is going to happen here? This is. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I think. I think Houston's going to pull it out, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if Dallas ended up winning. But really, Houston is such a juggernaut right now. They are really clicking on all cylinders that it's hard to bet against them at this point. It's really hard to bet against Houston. I agree. Uh, I I would, in this case, I'll trend towards Dallas being the home team. And, and Houston, you know, my thought is Houston's due for a loss. They, they need to, they need something to bring them back down to earth a little bit. And so, so and bring some parity to the league. So yeah. if not believing that Dallas can beat Houston, I'm hoping that Dallas can beat Houston at home. And then, all right. <laughs> That's my feeling on it. And since I'm not laying any money down, I can just go ahead and say Exactly, yeah. Okay, the last game, and we've alluded to this game already, D.C. at Tampa Bay. You know, I'm going to go Tampa here. I think they get their win against D.C. Uh, they were very close this past week um, against a good Houston team. I think they're going to try to capitalize on the home field advantage. I think uh, Aaron Murray coming back is going to help them out. Uh, they've got a couple other injury situations to keep an eye on. Nick Truesdell, their number one pick, was out this past week. We'll have to see if he's healthy enough to play. And they've had a couple other uh, players held out due to injury this past week who, if they get back, I think could make a significant difference. And, you know, how is D.C. going to 
come off that stinging loss. I think that's going to be a key factor there. I'm sure Pep Hamilton will have him ready, but uh, I think this is one that the Vipers can pull off. You know, I'd love to see the Vipers pull this one off. You know, and, and I kind of looking at D.C. last week in L.A., I'm thinking, well, you know what? They're probably a little bit shell-shocked from going on the road. So the road is not their friend. So when they go on the road to Tampa Bay, mind you, it's not across the country. It's just down the coast. I'm hoping or expecting them to not be the powerhouse they were in the first two games. And Tampa Bay is definitely hungry for a win. They yeah. definitely want to win. So I'm going to I'm gonna side with Tampa Bay on this one. And this is another matchup that's going to be fun to watch, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. I think um, Tampa Bay has shown, even without their starting quarterback, that they can still move the ball down the field. And D.C., obviously, with Cardell Jones, has shown at times this year that they can really put some drives together offensively. So it might be whatever D shows up biggest and makes the biggest plays that ends up uh, turning the tide in the favor of that team in this game. We'll soon see. So week four of the XFL is coming up. Uh, The XFL season is only 10 games, so we seem to be going through the season. uh, We're like one third of the way through the season now, aren't we? Well, excluding playoffs, mind you. Yeah, hard to believe already. Well, it's been nice talking to you, Greg. I'd like to thank you for taking the time for joining me in the podcast. Sure. Always a pleasure, Mark. Now, people can follow you online at Greg M. Parks on Twitter, right? That is correct. Uh, I'll usually tweet. uh, Well, there's some wrestling in there. As you said, I I columnist for PWTorch.com, but also some XFL stuff. you know, if you're a Vipers fan, follow me because I'll, I'll post a lot of updates throughout the week on the Vipers, especially with the injury situation they've got going on and uh, things of that nature. So transactions, uh, I'll keep an eye on as well. So follow me for that. I have to give a thumbs up to anyone who is wondering whether they should follow you or not on Twitter, because I'm always getting I'm always getting good information from you on Twitter. Greg, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, have a good day. Thanks. You, too. Thanks again to my guests, James Butler and Greg Parks. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You are welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Podcast.